0: Old Radio Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric.
1: I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. Today, we return to the listener library
0: for a recommendation from our mysterious listener, Mike. Mike writes Hello, I love your podcast. I have a recommendation for a very timely episode of a classic X minus one. Mr. Costello, Hero. I'd love to hear your commentary. X-1 premiered on NBC April 24th, 1955.
1: The first 15 episodes repurposed scripts from Dimension X, a short-lived science fiction anthology from 1950. The rest of the program consisted of all new adaptations of contemporary science fiction stories as well as original scripts by NBC staff writers. During its three-year run, X-Minus-One produced 126 episodes, including stories from Philip K. Dick, Isaac Asimov, Ray Bradbury, and in the case of today's production, Theodore Sturgeon. Mr.
2: Costello, Hero is based on Sturgeon's short story of the same name, first published in the December 1953 issue of Galaxy Science Fiction Magazine. Sturgeon is a science fiction writer's writer, prolific and highly respected, but little known outside of the genre. His most noted work is the novel More Than Human, also published in 1953, about six outcast children
0: with extrasensory powers. In the 1960s, Sturgeon wrote three scripts for the original Star Trek series, including the fan-favorite episode Amok Time, which introduced the Vulcan mating ritual Ponfar. His other contributions were the whimsical Shorelieb and the unproduced The Joy Machine, which was novelized in 1996 by James Gunn. Another of Sturgeon's claims to fame was the inspiration he
1: provided to his friend and fellow writer, Kurt Vonnegut. The character of Kilgore Trout, who made frequent appearances throughout Vonnegut's body of work, was partially based on Sturgeon. Both Trout and Sturgeon were struggling science fiction writers with last names that doubled as the names of fish. Theodore Sturgeon also coined an adage known as Sturgeon's Law, which simply states,
2: 90% of everything is crap. So with that in mind, let's listen to what is, statistically speaking, very likely to be crap then. Mr. Costolo, hero, from X-1, first broadcast July 3rd, 1956.
0: It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker, listen to the music, and listen to the voices.
3: In just a moment, X minus one, but first, Monitor takes you everywhere and brings you everything interesting, from news and on-the-spot interviews to offbeat features around the world. And Monitor also brings you the finest drama with original stories and Hollywood's top stars each week on Monitor World Theater. What's the weekend's big sports event? You can be sure of top coverage by NBC Radio in addition to all the latest scores and interesting commentary throughout the day on Monitor's sports highlights. Some of the brightest personalities and most interesting features are yours each weekend on Monitor. And now stay tuned for X-1 on NBC. Countdown for blast off. X-5, 4, 3, 2, X-1, fire. Tonight's story, Mr. Costello, Hero, by Theodore Sturgeon.
5: It began the day the skipper called me into his cabin. I'd been a purser aboard the spaceship Star Climber for almost 12 years, and I'd never yet been asked to Iron Man's cabin. But then a lot of strange things had been happening on this trip to Borenguen.
4: Come in. Oh, Sit down, purser. I said sit down. Yes, sir. All right. Here's a deck of cards. Deal. Sir? I said deal. Five-card draw. Go on, man. Yes, sir. Well? Uh,
5: Three of a kind, sir. You didn't draw. I beg your pardon?
4: When you play draw poker, you're supposed to draw. If you don't draw, you're supposed to give your opponent a chance to draw. Now, mister, did you ask me to draw? Well, I, uh... We haven't been playing that way recently. Who changed the rules? I don't know. Uh Uh-huh. Let me ask you something else. You stood a watch last night in the ship's galley. Why, uh, yes, sir. Has anybody ordered a galley watch? Well, no, sir,
5: but it isn't against the rules, is it? Against the rules? No, it isn't.
4: Now, tell me. There's the cook... Mind having a man watching him 24 hours a day? Well,
5: no, sir. You see, that way he knows everybody can trust him. You
4: mean that way you know he won't poison you? Well, yes, sir. Now, tell me person, Who aboard this ship suggested that the cook might
5: try to poison you? I really couldn't say, sir. It it just came up. Well, cook, he doesn't mind, sir. Really, he doesn't. He he says if he's watched all the time, then nobody can suspect him. So he doesn't mind. All right,
4: all right. let's proceed to something else. How long has it been customary for the deck officer to bring a witness with him when he takes over the watch? That's out of my department, sir. Now think hard, person. Did you ever hear of a deck officer bringing a witness with him before this trip?
5: No, sir.
4: Or stand a galley watch? No, sir. Or play draw poker without drawing? No, sir. Now, one more thing. Yes, sir. We never had Mister Costello as a passenger on this ship before, did we, Mister Costello? Mr. Costello?
5: No, sir, we didn't.
4: Okay. Ask him to come to my cabin. But. That's an order, mister! Yes, sir.
5: Let me tell you about Mr. Costello. He was our only passenger. Hello, Mr. Costello. Hello, Purser. Oh, am I interrupting something? Not at all. Come sit down. I'm landing on Borengren tomorrow, so I won't have much more chance to talk. Well, I'll finish this later, Mr. Costello. Nonsense. Honest men should be open with each other. Go ahead, show him what you discovered. Well? The Purser's a fine man. Well, Mr. Costello asked me to show him in the space code what a captain can and cannot do. Now, just a minute, Third. You wanted to show me, didn't you?
4: Well, yes.
5: So actually, you're going over the limitations of a space captain's power of your own... Free will,
4: right? Well, I guess so,
5: sure. Sure. Tell the person the part that you just read me. Well, it's a sort of safeguard against letting the skipper's power go to his head. Like, uh, suppose a time comes when the captain begins to act up, you see. The crew figures a lunatic has taken over the bridge. Well, the crew can send a delegate for an accounting. If the skipper refuses, then the crew can confine the skipper. Well, isn't there something about the proceedings having to be radioed at the time they happen? Now, there is a man who is absolutely Fair witnesses for the watch, safeguards on the kitchen. I tell you, you're you're all good men here. Yes, sir, this is the safest ship I've ever seen. Gives a fellow a nice feeling to know he isn't going to get his orders wrong or accidentally <laughs> find something in the food. Yes, sir, I wonder why we never thought of that before. Oh, uh, I nearly forgot. Mr. Costello, the skipper, wants to see you in his cabin. Oh, uh-huh. right away. I see. Uh, will you come along with me, just as a friendly precaution? Hmm? You you can wait outside. Well... Well, in that way, both of us will know what happened. I'll uh, never be able to say that you didn't give me the message and you'll be able to say uh, I uh, went to see the skipper. Right? Well, I guess so. You know that this buddy system sort of makes everything safer, doesn't it? That's right, Purser. You can't do anything bad if you have a friend along to witness. Mr. Costello and I went to the captain's cabin and I waited outside. After a while, I could hear them shouting. That is, I could hear the captain shouting. Mr. Costello never raised his voice.
4: And let me tell you, Mr. Costello, that if my crew questions my sanity, they have legal recourse. But you can be sure that meanwhile, if a single man aboard questions my authority, he will learn that I am master of the ship, even if he must learn it at the point of a gun. Now, sir, get out.
5: Wow. You okay, Mr. Costello? <laughs> yes, yes, I'm fine. Did you uh, hear anything? Well, yes, I did. Would you remember what you heard? I think so. Let's see. You see this uh, little gadget? No bigger than a pocket watch? Yes, sir. What is it? Listen. I'll open it.
4: If a single man aboard questions my authority, he will learn that I am master of this ship, even if he must learn it at the point of a gun.
5: Whose voice is that? It's the captain. Good man. But I... That's simple. You see, this little pin that I wear on my lapel here? This is a microphone. This watch is a magnetic recorder. I just use it as a toy, Well, I'll be done. You see, Purser, I'm a collector. What do I collect? Voices. Voices anywhere, anybody, anytime. Listen. A lunatic has taken over the bridge. Why, well, that's the third officer. Mm-hmm. Listen to this now. I better not, Mr. Costello. I wouldn't want you thinking I take bribes from passengers. Recognize it? Why, that's my voice. Exactly, the time you brought me the special radio message from Earth Central. And you offered me a blue gemstone, and I said... Now, listen to this. I take bribes from passengers. Well, if that isn't the end. (laughs) Cute, huh? Well, I guess I'll get back to my cabin and pack. Uh, When do we uh, arrive at uh, Borenguinn? Six. Tomorrow morning. Oh, good. By the way, I'd like you to come see me when you uh, put in there again. Well, that's very nice, sir, but you're an important man, and I'm just... Nonsense. Person... I insist that you visit me. Well, that's real nice. Oh, by the way, what's the major trade on Borenguin? Glunker, glunker. Yes, it's a kind of soft fur. You can make a warm coat out of it that will roll up into a thimble. You don't know, say. And the glunker trade, uh, that's carried out by, uh, by trappers? Mostly. Mm-hmm. They work alone and bring in the pelts. I see. They spend a lot of time... Alone, hmm? That's right. You know, sometimes I envy them. I mean, working on a ship, you're almost never alone. And the way I see it, a man needs to be alone sometimes. Correction. Only, I repeat, only if he has something to hide. Otherwise, to be alone is antisocial. And evil. We put in at Boringwin the following morning. I stood at the ramp of the ship and checked out the supplies and checked in the glunker pelts that we were taking back to earth. The Borenguin people were a nice, independent, easygoing bunch. I knew a Borenguin woman named Nola, and she came out to the ship to see me. 15,000 glunker pelts. Check. 300 pounds of radioactive ergite. Check. Oh, just put that shipment of show seed over next to the ramp.
6: Hello. What? Well, Nola. Nola. I saw your ship on the cargo manifest.
5: Well, it's good to see you.
6: Will you be on board when long?
5: Just for for a day or so. Listen, uh, I have to get this cargo checked in. Can we see each other later?
6: I'll be through at the spaceport at 16 hours.
5: Oh, good. Suppose I... Oh, excuse me a minute. Here comes our passenger. Well, good morning. I see we've arrived safely. Yes, sir. I expected you out before this. I had a few items to get in order. Oh, Mr. Costello, this is Nola. She's a uh, Borenguena. Well, it's very nice to meet you. This is a real nice guy, Nola. See that he doesn't have any trouble with customs, will you? Nola works here. Any friend of the purser? Wonderful. Well, I'll say goodbye now. Remember to look me up, purser, next time you hit Boranguen. I will. He gave me that big, warm handshake of his and clapped his arm on my shoulder. Give you a good feeling to know that a big shot like Mr. Costello really liked you. I got the rest of the cargo checked in. Took maybe three hours. Then I was about to go in and ask the skipper for leave when a couple of guys with Space Bureau credentials came aboard. All right, that's it, boys. Close the hatches. Excuse me. Yes? Space
7: Bureau. Is Captain Ierson aboard? Why, yes. You're the purser,
5: huh? That's right. Something wrong?
7: Would you mind answering a couple of questions? Not at all. Has the captain been behaving strangely this trip?
5: Well, not strangely exactly anything unusual well, no he uh he called me in for a card game. mm-hmm does that happen often? No, never happened before. was he upset? Yes, I guess he
7: was okay. this gentleman would like you to answer a few simple questions. Meanwhile, I'll look up the skipper. Mm-hmm.
5: They took the skipper off the ship and left Borengwen the next morning with a new skipper assigned by the port captain. There was a rumor later that old Iron Man had been court-martialed or something. Nobody knew for certain. We made the rounds after that. Sigma, Nightingale, Carano, all the planets in the fourth system. We even went back to Earth with a load of glizzard skins and black prints. It must have been about, oh, 16 months later that we made it for Borengwen again. I was talking to the third officer. sir. Hmm? I, uh, I'd like to talk to you. Go ahead. We land at Borenguin tomorrow. So? I don't like it. What's wrong with Borngwen It's one of the best ports in the system. It was. What do you mean? We got a radiogram from the Borenguin customs a little while ago. Okay, we got a radiogram. Oh, some bureaucrat sent it. Nothing will happen. Another thing. The way it was signed. How was it signed? Loneliness is evil. Port Captain Borenguin. Loneliness? Is evil? That's what it said. On a government radiogram? Mm hmm. Loneliness is evil. Where did I hear that before? Well, we touched down on Gwyn at 1200 hours. What a change. The spaceport was deserted. The only people who came aboard were two agents from customs. They censored our tapes and checked our written literature. I finally started a conversation with them. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, sir? Yeah? There is a uh, Boranguina named Nola that used to work in customs. I wonder if she's still there. I wouldn't know. Well, the reason I asked, uh, she usually meets my ship when it comes in. Yeah, I see. Well, uh, <clears throat> maybe I'll look her up. She has an apartment on R Street.
7: She won't be living there. Try Central Barracks.
5: Central Barracks?
7: That big warehouse near the spaceport.
5: I thought they stored the furs there.
7: They don't use the warehouses to store things anymore. No? They need them for the people. The people? You haven't been on Boren, Gwen, since the Brotherhood movement?
5: I haven't been here for 16 months.
7: Well, you'll find that the people have moved into the warehouses now. Well, what about the apartments? What about the homes? They're used only for storage space. I don't get it. Look, we haven't got time to explain now. My partner and I have to get back to Central Control.
5: Well, maybe I'll go to try and find Nola.
7: Better take a companion. What for? They don't like soloists on Gwen. Since when? Since brotherhood. No ladder has a single rung, you know. So what? It takes a hundred pair of hands to build a house. Okay. A single pair is useless. Not only useless, but evil. I don't get your drift. All humanity is made up of many parts. Any part that wants to go off by itself hurts the main thing. What good would your hand be if a single finger suddenly decided to go off
5: by itself? listen, is this a gag? It's deadly serious. Well, suppose I want to go off by myself. We'll help you. And suppose I don't want to be helped. Then you're a
7: trapper, a glunker. You'll be sent into the bush country where the other soloists are sent. Holy smokes, this
5: place has gone mad. Are you coming with us? Look, suppose, just suppose that I want to walk across the field to the warehouse by myself, all alone. You can try, but you won't get two steps before they pick you up.
7: Take our advice. Get a companion.
5: I let them take me over to the barracks. The place that used to be a warehouse. It was unbelievable. Unbelievable. The place had been completely cleared of every wall, every partition. There, in front of my eyes, were 10,000 beds, cots, and mattresses spread out over the entire floor of the warehouse. The light was blinding. Huge floods and spots bathed every square inch. Nothing was concealed. Even the plumbing, showers, tubs, sinks were lined up against an open wall. The agents came in with me and stood at the door. A cluster of Borgwin people waited in a roped-off area.
7: This is it. Wow. The customs personnel are in that third aisle, going north.
5: I'll walk down there. Thanks for the company.
7: It's a duty. Wait, I'll get you a companion. Anyone for the third aisle going north? Third aisle going north. Yeah, there comes a man. He'll accompany you.
5: small, frightened-looking man detached himself from the waiting group and went with me up the aisle of the warehouse. The sound, the smells were frightening. Thousands of people milling around. No privacy. Everyone terrified of being alone. I wondered how this had happened. Finally, after an hour of searching, I found my friend, Nola.
6: So that's the way it is on Boron Nobody seems to know just how it happened. just seemed better to be with somebody all the time. Then nobody could accuse you of doing anything wrong.
5: But somebody must have started these accusations. Somebody must have put the fear
6: into people. I don't know. It started with the glunkers. The fur trappers? That's right. We began to hear things about them. That they were thieves, that they planned to take over the city. Just rumors, of course. And pretty soon, if you didn't like somebody, you called him a glunker. Then there were signs. No glunkers allowed. You know? I saw some you began to hear about it on the televisor, and pretty soon they appointed a committee to investigate and find out if there was any truth to the rumors about the Glunkers. It was headed by Mr. Costello. Costello. Mr. Costello. He's a big shot now. Owns half the city, I guess. Well, it can't be the same one. Yes, it is. I've seen him.
5: When did everybody move to the central warehouse?
6: When the police started picking up soloists, everybody began to move in together. Didn't take long. That's the strange thing. How little time it took.
5: I talked to Nola for a while, then I couldn't take it any longer. I had to get out to get away by myself. I found somebody who was going toward the exit, and after a while, we were standing outside the warehouse entrance. I'm going south. Uh, I'm going north to the spaceport. Oh, Tell me, does anybody travel alone? Sometimes we take a
4: chance on it. I guess I'll have to take a chance right now. I'll be late for my job if somebody doesn't come along soon. Where do you work? That orange building right across the street. Would you like me to walk with you? Oh,
5: you'll just get stranded there. I'll make a run for it. The street looks clear. Well, thanks for the company. Not at all. So long. Hey, mister, look out that car. Look out! Ah! Why, you... Is he dead? Yes, sir. That was deliberate. I saw it. He- Hello, Perser. Well, That's Mr. Costello? Yes, I'm sorry about the accident. My chauffeur was... He, he tried to run away. That's what happens to soloists. If he'd had a companion to warn him to thrust him out of the way. You understand that, don't you, Percy? I don't know. Climb into the car. You can't go wandering about boring when long. Well, I'm... Police will take care of the body. It's all right. Okay, if you say so, Mr. Costler. Drive to the spaceport. Yes, sir. Well, what do you think of our little planet? Well... I knew you'd like it. Just think of it, Purser. All humankind, a single unit. Yes, this is a people that has found the truth. It awes me. Makes me humble. I, uh... Well, speak up, man. I'm your friend. Well, I was going to say, I'm not sure I like it. Well, take your time. Nobody has to make a man see the truth. <laughs> isn't it right? Well... That's right, isn't it? Yes, I, I, I guess... I guess it is. Fine. Fine. Yes, only the trappers refuse to see the truth. Are they really dangerous? Dangerous? They go out and spend weeks alone by themselves, don't they? Alone with their own evil thoughts... Evil thoughts. We all have them, you know. Even you. For example, you, you remember this? Well, I. Uh... Well, this should refresh your mind. Listen to this. I take bribes from passengers. Your voice, Purser. And a very evil thought, too. But that isn't what I said. That's what's on the tape, Purser. Now then, I, I wouldn't use it against you, of course. Mr. Costello, what is it you want from me? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Well, a minor favor, perhaps. Go on. Your ship is going back to Earth after it leaves uh, Borengren. Yes. You will have a passenger. I didn't know that. To be exact, a mentally deranged man. Who is he? His name is Hines. He's been the Earth Consul here on Borengren. He's been recalled to Earth to report. You said he was mentally ill? He is, but the Earth government doesn't know him. Well, what can I possibly do? I wouldn't want Mr. Hines to go back and tell them a lot of lies about what's happened on Borenman. Well, Purser, I want you to put this capsule into Mr. Hines's food. What is it? Oh, sleeping potion. You think I'm a murderer, Mr. Costello? Purser, do you know what will happen if this tape recording of your voice is sent back to Earth? Do you know what they do to Pursers who take bribes? You'll be court-martialed. You'd use it? Only in the interests of protecting our happy society. Now then, will you see that Mr. Hines is properly sedated? I You can get ten years of Uranus. Well, person. I give me the capsule. Good. Ride over to the ship, driver. Mm-hmm. The first day out, the Earth Council, Mr. Hines, was in his cabin, and I brought him his dinner. He was a tense, nervous little man. Is your dinner, sir? Put it down, Stuart. Oh, I'm the
8: purser, sir. The steward's ill, and I'm helping out. I see. Do you know what's happened on Borenguinn? I was only there a few hours, Mr. Hines. Let me tell you, then. You won't believe it. Nobody will believe it. First, it was a little wedge, driven in the one place it might exist between the city people and the trappers. The Glunkers. Suddenly the Glunkers were a menace. Then came the changes. You didn't have to prove that a glunker had done anything. You just had to prove he was a Glunker. It all happened so fast. Pretty soon you were afraid to be alone for a second. There was a man named Costello. He came from Earth. I know him. You know him? He went to Borinquen on this ship. Then you must be the one. The one. Which one? Who testified against your captain for the court-martial? What? There was a tape recording, your voice and the voice of the third officer. Costello had them. He used them to send the skipper to Uranus? I didn't know. You must have known. What's happened to us? What's happened? What? <laughs>
5: I got him into his bunk and gave him a sedative. Then I took away the food I'd fixed for him. I still had Costello's poison capsule in my pocket. I went down to the radio room and sent a message to Earth headquarters. Two days later, we landed. Mr. Hines told his story and I told mine. I showed them the poison capsule and told them what had happened to the skipper and about the tape recorder. Within 24 hours, a task force of the Earth fleet was on its way to Borenguin. It wasn't much of a battle, they tell me. The Borenguin army didn't have its heart in it. That was, uh, oh, 20 years ago, I guess. About Mr. Costello, I met him again last week, right here on Earth. Funny thing, I was sitting in Central Park on a bench. Well, 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 if it isn't the purser. I'm sorry, I don't believe... Look, look, look closer. Don't you recognize me? No, I... Why, Mr. Costello. I thought you... You thought I was on Uranus? I was. I served 20 years. Mind if I sit down? It's a free earth. You know, I'm glad I ran into you. I think you may be just the man that I need. Need? Yes. Let me show you something. Here, in this pouch. Recognize these? They're just live ants. Exactly. Let me dump them out on the ground. Won't they crawl away? They'll come back. Watch. You see, I put a little piece of this bread in the pouch, and I, and I lay it on the ground. See how they crawl back? Yes. All except that one. He's interested in that dead caterpillar. Yes. You see, about one in thirty, I discovered, will eat something different, break away from the pack. So what? Don't you see, man? If we can find a way to make the others turn on that one in 30, if we can make the bread eaters think that the caterpillar eaters are dangerous... They're not dangerous. They're just different. What's the difference? Just so we can get the bread eaters scared enough, they'll turn on the others. And then? And then we can make them do anything that we want. You see? You see what I'm driving at? If you think of these ants as people, well, where are you going? I'm leaving, Mr. Costello. Why? Doesn't what I say make sense? Yes, it does, Mr. Costello, except for one thing. What is that? I'm no aunt. So long, Mr. Costello.
3: You have just heard X-1 presented by the National Broadcasting Company in cooperation with Galaxy Science Fiction Magazine, which this month features The Claustrophile, an unusual story by Theodore Sturgeon, which turns common sense completely around and plumps it down squarely on its feet. Galaxy Magazine, on your newsstand today. Tonight by transcription, X-1 has brought you Mr. Costello, Hero, a story from the pages of Galaxy written by Theodore Sturgeon and adapted for radio by George Lefferts. Featured in the cast were Wendell Holmes, Mandel Kramer, Bob Hastings, Joe DeSantis, Terry Keane, James Stevens, James Dukas, and Raymond Edward Johnson. Your announcer, Fred Collins. X-Minus One was directed by Daniel Sutter and is an NBC Radio Network production.
0: That was Mr. Costello, hero, from X-1, here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And
2: I'm Joshua.
0: It's hard not to say Mr. Costello, but especially <laughs> at the time that this was written, that would be a huge mistake uh, with the uh, reference to Costello. Uh, Costello. But if it was Costello, then there would be a lot of... <laughs> <laughs> Which probably could have used. (laughs) Hey, Abbott. This guy won't let me walk alone.
2: (laughs) It reminds me of the pronunciation of Peabody,
0: which I keep hearing in older things pronounced as Peabody. Peabody. There's a town in Massachusetts that it took me, when I lived out there, like, I'm going to Peabody. And they're like, no, that's Peabody.
2: Yeah. It always
0: sounds like puberty to me. Puberty
2: award winning.
0: (laughs) Everything sounds like puberty to you. What What are you talking about? (laughs) So uh, thank you so much, Mike, for making that recommendation. A couple of things. If you've listened to this podcast, you know that I truly do like X minus one, but I struggle with the music. So mm-hmm. I just start there now, and I didn't struggle with the music in this one. I really, there was no uh, taking me out of it with any musical overtures or anything. That I went, oh, what's happening? So I enjoyed that very much. I just want to say this, because I'm going to have a hard time explaining this. I think that the writing of Costello, his dialogue is insanely good, because... Mm-hmm sturgeon really captured the art form of manipulation in a conversation so well they're not hypnotized they're not drugged they're just led down this path of thinking so effortlessly i know people like this and you get caught up and you're like wait a minute wait a minute you just said I agree with that and that was actually my idea. No, it wasn't. That was your idea. Like, you know that. But the writing of Costello's dialogue is coming from a place he knows someone with that kind of manipulative power of yeah. conversation. Uh, Joseph McCarthy. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. I mean, right, this was right.
2: his middle finger to yeah. McCarthyism. And I think that's why it is so intentionally unsubtle. Mm-hmm. I mean, like... That's it's a, it's heavy-handed.
1: I, I couldn't tell. Like, is this anti-communist? But that's this... where I
2: think it's brilliant, is I think he's very intentionally saying, screw you to McCarthy, and also, I'm not a communist. Mm-hmm. I also think communists is a bunch <laughs> of bunk. Mm-hmm. Um, but you don't have to agree with communism to think McCarthy's treatment of supposed communists, oh. or even real communists, is bad. He has a principled objection to Uh, mccarthyism that is not dependent on whether or not he agrees with the target of mccarthyism
1: the satirical element of it is so refined and striking a very specific target that my impulse to like decode it is resisted the story wants to tell is not me figuring out who he's really talking about i'm sorry though i interrupted you and you were talking about mccarthy I hate the guy.
0: <laughs> Turns uh, out, bad guy.
1: <laughs> uh, I listened to this, and I loved it. And specifically, my inner Eric loved this. It, it started up and just, it's going. Yeah, like, oh yeah. Uh, wow. Draw a card. <laughs> and, I, and I was it was just pulling me along, and I was loving it. I was making no attempt to predict what's going to happen. I love that opening, because you're like, yeah. well, what's going on? Why is the captain so mad that they've changed
0: the rules of poker? Right, yeah. following on the heels of our last episode where I was talking about the openings to old-time radio shows or storytelling where you're not spoon-fed what's happening. Mm-hmm. And so you're left to go, what's happening? That can be terrible because it can be like, okay, I don't know what's going on in your lost. This is a great example of, I don't know what's going on. And then as you get, I don't know, five, six minutes, maybe even a little longer into it, it all... St- like the, I love in my head... The puzzle pieces coming into place in my brain behind me. Click, 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 yeah. click, 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 click. Oh, now I know what that was all about.
1: Instead of being mad, and it, it helps that the purser, as your point of view character, is in the same boat. Yes, he's trying to figure out what's going yeah. on. Yeah, because he really likes uh, he Mr. Costello.
0: But he also says some things that, until you figure it out later, the way he's phrasing things are odd. Well, yeah, there's no rule against doing that is there well yeah we did that who brought up i don't know i don't know who made that but does it matter and so i'm not sure that Mm -hmm. he is my perspective for a while they're like are you nuts like are you (laughs) are you the problem are you the conflict is the captain bringing you in because you're really weird so i'm not sure at that point at the beginning who to trust and whose perspective and Mm -hmm. who's giving me the truth And the captain's very, draw a card. Okay. That's a weird way to start a conversation. So everybody is unreliable for the first four minutes.
1: You're playing poker wrong. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. But then again, it's X minus one. So I think, oh, it must be future poker. (laughs) Space poker. (laughs) (laughs) Space poker.
2: (laughs) But everything in X minus one is exactly like it was in the 50s with space in front of it. (laughs) That's the only thing that has changed about it.
0: Yeah. There's an interesting phenomenon that happens with moral dilemmas like this, where you catch yourself saying, well, that certainly does make sense on paper. But deep down morally, you go, but th- th- that's not right. Let me give you an example. This has been discussed many times. But there are times when you go, was Thanos wrong? <laughs> you know, like, there's some credence to if we eliminated, you know, like... You but were going to start a whole new
1: podcast here. We're right. talking about what well, Thanos garbage. But... The point being Thanos. is... Thanos. I'm going to call him Thanos. Thanos, right.
0: <laughs> but there is that point where you commiserate a little bit. You have a little bit of empathy and understanding. And the way Marvel did Thanos, I don't want to get off on Thanos. but will but, but you know that it's done in a way that you're supposed to have these moments of, you know, he may not be a bad person. He may be trying to do well. Okay, that all being said, this story has that in there where you have a moment of going... Yeah, there's a lot of sense to that argument of if we just were never alone, <laughs> like you were constantly buddied up with someone, no one would do anything wrong. Now, of course, you immediately go, yeah, we can't do that. That's stupid. That's horrible. That's." I get that it's wrong, but you do have that moment of, I understand why that makes sense on paper.
1: And the story features a guy who is selling that idea uh, aggressively. so. You at
0: least have to consider it. Right. Yeah. I can see how easily swayed people could be, not only from that concept, but how that guy talked. When you can walk away from a person and you think that you made all of those choices and decisions and you didn't, they actually made those choices and decisions. And like a
2: really shrewd, intelligent manipulator, he knows that he can use words to manipulate most people, but Mm -hmm. he has a Backup for those who push back with his recordings taken out of context. So he knows it won't work on everyone and he has a plan B.
0: Yeah, recordings out of context. Wow. It's very topical, very timely, very difficult to listen to something from 1950, whatever. From AI to uh, sound bites to uh, context. Or even to, to
2: take it to a different parallel. There is a continual debate, and some people believe there are certain things where context doesn't matter. What doesn't matter is what you intended Mm. or meant. It's purely 100% the impact on the people who heard it. And obviously, we still to this day hear arguments about privacy of like, well, the only people who are concerned about privacy are people with something to hide. Why would you be concerned? Mm. You must be guilty Mm -hmm. of something then. And it's a debate in every form, from in like every policing cop- debates, yep. but it's also been in online debates. Like, if you object to certain levels of moderation, it must mean that you want horrible things to be said and done online. So, like, everybody uh, is tempted, as Eric said, by having a certain level of control over people they don't agree with.
0: Yeah, the, the minute you ask for a lawyer, then you must be guilty. Yeah. Uh, because why else wouldn't you just talk to us? Please, God. Don't let me ever be in a room being interrogated, <laughs> knock wood. <laughs> but if I ever was, I would be tempted to be like, no, I don't want a lawyer because I, I want to give off the impression that I am telling the truth, unless I was guilty.
2: <laughs> uh, I just think there's a lot of clever bits in here when he goes back to boring Quinn and uh, everything has changed. And the motto that he sees written out is loneliness is evil. Which I think is really clever because it could just as easily have been something positive. It mm. could have been yes. belonging is good, mm. community is good, but that would be something. Have that, a buddy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that would also be a principle, be something that's positive, that it's the use of fear mm-hmm. that is giving Costello
1: his power. Really liked in that how weird, and it was acknowledged that it was weird that this is on a government document, this is on a piece of like an invoice of just meaningless paperwork that that's printed on there.
0: Yeah, he found that off-putting that that would be put on something officially governmental. I mean, that was not a government document.
2: He just persuaded everybody as a citizen to do that, and they all got in line and agreed, which is another thing that I think is interesting about this, and it's another reason I think something like Fahrenheit 451 as a um, dystopian future novel is more accurate in its portrayal of that people are more likely, the citizens are more likely to ask for the dystopian future Mm. before the government powers come down. And they're (laughs) like, oh, you want that? Cool. Um, I'll give it to you. But it's another one that that shows that the people seem to be persuaded to accept it and ask for it first.
0: Well, I think there's a certain amount of, we all would like uh, some peace and uh, stability and assurances and when you're given those options, well, you could if you did it like this. You- well, yeah, that it is. everyone uh, puts up with a little
1: bit of government control in their life. It's just how much is acceptable, how much are you willing to put up with versus mm-hmm. what you get in return for that, mm-hmm. and that it is dangerous to start negotiating that.
0: The buddy system, however, does work for CAMP. <laughs> it does
1: Children
2: cannot be trusted Let's not yes. pretend they can be In the all. forest Loneliness is evil right.
1: <laughs> Swimming in the lake Have a buddy <laughs> <laughs> The ending of this The resolution Brought me so much joy Anytime a story ends Where a character does The smart thing I have witnesses I have all kinds of proof Of what you're attempting To blackmail me with And I was discussing this In a split second About How fascinating and delightful it is to suddenly have a character engage in institutions and they work. They Mm -hmm. help a character out, Uh, which, yes, that may not always be true in the real world, but it's nice to see it work once in a while. Well, one year
2: after Sturgeon wrote this story, or maybe it was two, but there was the Army McCarthy hearings and Mm -hmm. he was sanctioned by the Senate. So that actually ended up happening in real (laughs) life.
0: Other thoughts, gentlemen?
2: There was a 10-year-old in me that just had a hard time with all the, I did 20 years on Uranus or whatever the lines were. I'm like, grow "Grow Come on. Grow up. But I just,
0: I have to rewind that. (laughs) It's now his ringtone. (laughs) Uh, That was also like, the writer knows. They know. The whole production knew. I know they only have 30 minutes, so I, this is really not a complaint because you're, it's really difficult to write something that could be flushed out. But how fast Costello, you know, when he interviews, when he talks to the guy that he's supposed to kill and how they just very narratively go, so he turned all that in and he ended up going to prison. It was just so quick. I get that they have to get to the castle, get into the barn, whatever. The point is, though, that I would like to have seen a little more of that process of him proving his innocence. What's interesting is they clipped all that down so they could have time for years and years later when he gets out of jail. I'm not so sure I'm sold on him running into him again 20 years later in the Ant story. I don't know if it's necessary. I think I would have been really satisfied with a court trial and him going to jail and going to Neptune or Uranus or where is it? Uranus. Uranus. That's where you go. Do you want me to show it to you on a map?
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, I'd like to see a map of Uranus. <laughs> yeah, It's a little blurry. It's <laughs> uh, got a little we're, dark we're, smudge on it. What is that? We're losing Patreons.
2: Uh, <laughs> no, but my problem with a trial is that, well, then it's this whole procedure. You know how it's going to end, and it's just a lot of... Yeah, he snaps his
0: fingers. (laughs) (laughs) But um, what I I
2: think the climax is, is that to me, Sturgeon just takes the very thin mask he has put on this story off. And the climax is when our narrator, the purser, is told by Hines, uh, who is the envoy to this planet who he's supposed to kill. Right. He just basically says straight up, you didn't have to prove a glunker had done anything. You just had to prove he was a glunker. What's happened to us? The realization is the person goes, "Oh yeah, it's McCarthy. He's bad. I'm I'm gonna get Costello." I mean, to me, it's just like they um, are just talking directly to the contemporary listener at that point. Um, and I actually really like showing how crazy and pathetic and it is also prophetic about McCarthy that uh, Costello is is just this sad. Man, because McCarthy just kept carrying on about communism and people stopped listening to him. Yep. And now he's still kind of plotting and he, talking about ants and he's just a crazy old man and the purser just walks away. It's really close to the original story, but uh, the original story, and it might be the difference between 1953 and 1956 uh, and, and how people were viewing McCarthyism at those two different times. 53 is a much bleaker time for it. and the original story, Sturgeon has Hines, who um, is going to uh, report all these doings on the planet to uh, United Earth. He's so depressed by what he saw happen there, how people just gave in to this. He commits suicide. Oh. Mm. oh. And the purser just keeps flying around. There's no plot to have the purser kill um, him either. Uh, the purser remains just kind of an ignorant guy who never really gets why people are so upset with Costello. He still just thinks he's Mm. kind of a nice guy. And just what eventually happens in the story is enough stories about this place get out and it finally comes back to earth and they go nab him and put him on a, a, like a hospital planet where he has to live out his life there away from people. Um, But he's allowed, it's funny. He's allowed to do whatever he wants. He's just not going to be allowed to like control a society anywhere
1: (laughs) Ever so instead of being the prison planet of Uranus, it is Myanus, the uh, hospital <laughs> it's, it's planet. It's Myanus, yes.
2: <laughs> but he lives on a beach, and it's really nice. And he's, but he's still like the story. He's uh, when the purser goes to visit him, he's ranting and raving about these ants. Mm. And the purser's line is at the end is just still he, he's just mad because they'll, he'll never meet somebody as big and important as Costello, who treated him so nice. That, so Sturgeon wants to concentrate on this idea that there's still people out here who just
1: don't really get why McCarthy is dangerous. That paints a clearer picture of what the title is intended to convey, I think, that version of it, mm-hmm. um, which I, I feel like, yeah, I get it. There was never a moment where like the irony was really pointed at, which I suppose I don't need to have it pointed at. In the radio adaptation? Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: I do think you're right. It comes from the story because the purser never has the aha moment. He thinks he's a great guy who did some weird things and he's not sure why he talks about ants. But <laughs> that's
0: it. I like the line read by the actor, the second, what? <laughs> what? What have we become or what What did we do or whatever? But that second what is an, I can't quite explain it and I can't recreate it, but uh, that second what seemed really sincere. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> I ready to vote if you guys are vote away see the thing with Thanos is
1: (laughs) if he snaps away and half of every living thing goes yes
0: as long as I'm not one of the half I'm all for it
1: (laughs) but if the point is to reduce the need to feed them and like all the herds get thinned by half all your crops get thinned by half you're at Uh the exact same problem just Uh at a lower level
0: yeah but it's easier to get an apartment
1: yeah Thanos was right yeah
2: (laughs)
0: Vote away, Joshua.
2: (laughs) I'm going to be boring and call this a classic. I mean, it's it's a curious episode from this vantage point in time because it's so of its time, yet it's strangely applicable in slightly different ways, sort of parallel and adjacent ways because this sort of controlling urge in people just doesn't go away (laughs) Mm -hmm. and uh, the weakness of humans to give into it doesn't seem to go away no matter what political clothes it's wearing at any given moment in history so it's it's strange i think it kind of depends what lens you look at it and what your feelings are from a contemporary point of view i think this could be contentious with some people today but i think it was really on the nose in its time. So I'm going to call it a personal classic because I still think it's really hard to untangle from all its multiple meanings and all its applications across time and space. Uh, But I think it's fabulously uh,
1: well done. I might also give this a qualified classic uh, particularly for being science fiction. Um, I think there's a lot of science fiction in old radio that is very good which feels a little dated. Uh, And this doesn't. I I feel like, you know, the integrity of the script, the speed of the production, the performances are all excellently done. And the uh, the themes are as relevant, if not more so, today than they were at the time. Yeah, it's that weird thing where it
2: feels heavy-handed in spots, but you also recognize because what it was commenting on. And and it's time that sometimes it's heavy-handed because... A heavy hand makes a good fist. (laughs) (laughs) It really punches back. Makes a good snap.
0: I I think it stands the test of time. I think it's relevant. Uh, You take away the, the political and sociological overtones. I find it to be just fine i didn't find it to be you take those away (laughs) and there's literally (laughs) no story correct so what i'm talking about is spaceship sounds
2: which i realize you would
0: like talking about acting production pacing overall storytelling was, uh, nothing overly interesting or exciting for me. I think that it made its point really well. And I think it stands at test of time from that, but I don't find it to be, uh, I just want
2: to say, I forgot to mention him. Wendell Holmes is a radio actor from the fifties and he's in a lot of dimension X and a lot of X minus one. And he's the guy who played, um, Mr. Costello And I think he's Fabulous and everything, yeah. but he's particularly great in this. I as do long like as you him. brought up uh, performances.
0: Yep. I do like him in this. How's that? I think it's solid. But I don't put the classic on it. Solid Uranus show. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs>
1: A solid Uranus production. All, all, right. all right, all right, Tim. take my mic away? Did we all
2: vote? Don't do we need another Marvel joke or something here? Come on,
0: Tim. Tell him. Uh, something. Wasn't it Ben Franklin who said?
2: <laughs> Those who would give up half the population of the universe (laughs) for a little temporary safety deserve neither half the population of the universe or safety. It was Ben Frank. that's my deep quote. Oh, he got taken in the snap, though.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Tim, tell him about (laughs) Uranus.
1: Please go visit ghoulishdelights.com, home of this podcast. You'll find other episodes there. Uh, You can leave comments. Let us know what you thought of this episode. Vote in polls. Send us a message if you have requests. Uh, You can link to our social media pages. You can link to our Threadless store. Buy some swag, a Mysterious Old Radio t-shirt, a tote bag. I love tote bags. Uh, You can also link to our Patreon page. Yes, just go to patreon.com slash themorals.
2: Find the largest Um, quantity of money you can give us and do it (laughs) because we really appreciate it
7: (laughs) we need money
2: Um, this podcast uh, does take up a lot of our time and it is so great uh, when people support it and I often am here begging people to support the podcast and I don't feel I take enough time always to thank everybody who already does. We get to spend a lot of time with patrons uh, through Zoom uh, happy hours, the Zoom book club, through Discord, and they are just super nice. I I know I sound surprised, but you know, (laughs) it is the internet. I suspect people out there could be a lot worse than they are. (laughs) They're great. I'm always surprised when people aren't jerks. They're wonderful and a lot of fun. So thank you guys. and uh, I look forward to the next happy hour.
1: Uh, I also just want to, one more time, we were uh, for a while there in episodes asking for help with uh, a new computer uh, and people gave one-time donations that you were all fantastic. We hit our goal. I want to say thank you to these donors. Sorry to interrupt, Tim, but this is Joshua from the future and
2: I am here to tell you that not only did we meet our goal but we have acquired our computer and the episode you just listened to is the very first to be edited on said computer and it is glorious. I just hope it's waterproof because I have been shedding tears of joy. Thank you so much. Thank you Bill, Brian, Anna Marie, Linda, Shane, Mark, DBA, Jeffrey, Micah, Ryan, Roberta, Catherine, Carolyn, Loretta, Lori, Jolene, Susan, Emily, Christian, Edmund, Pete, Michael, Andrew, Philip, Mark, Elena, Beverly, Sean, and Maria. Guys, again, thank you. And now, Back to your regularly scheduled podcast.
0: And if you'd like to see us performing live, the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society Theater, uh, end of our little company here. Uh, We do live (laughs) live recreations of (laughs) Uranus. Of Uranus.
4: (laughs) We do
0: live recreations of classic old time radio and a lot of our own original work live on stage somewhere every month, if not more than once a month. You can find out where we're performing, what we're performing. All of the information by going to GhoulishDelights.com or com. Go and find out where we are and come see us. Uh, have some dinner, have some drinks, and watch us do some old-time radio on stage because we're really good at it. How's that? How's that for not pulling any punches? Boom! If you are a Patreon and you can't make it, you live somewhere too far away or you're busy that night, you do get... Both the- your
2: legs are broken.
0: Yep. Whatever terrible thing is happened. Something's wrong with your anus. And it, 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 there's a... <laughs> You can just yeah. uh, uh, you, we film them and you get those uh, live filming <laughs> things free. You get to see it part of your Patreon package. Okay. <laughs> don't,
2: don't say package and Uranus in the same sentence. Come on, man. I have a little what? taste. <laughs>
0: Pull it together. We oui.
1: Some decorum, please. You child.
0: <laughs> Poopy. Okay. What's coming up next?
1: Next is your pick,
0: sir. All oh, right, we are going to delve into a series we've not done. Let George do it. The uh, episode is This Ain't No Way to Run a Railroad. Until then, Look out! Uranus. Uranus.